Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. How's it going, Dylan? It's going good. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm just kicking it. I've been sick the past few days. I know, you poor little thing. I'm still not feeling great, but I'm trying. I think you got the food poison. I'm trying to hang in there. Yeah, or like a stomach flu. I don't know. Well, it's going around. Yeah, even today I just feel kind of eh. But I'm trying to get it together for you guys. We need energy. This is our sixth of 12 downloads of Christmas. So we are halfway there. Yeah. Are we going to meet this goal? I think so. I'm excited. Yeah. I've been screwed at work a lot, but i got some time coming up and we're just going to keep moving forward. This will be like the first goal I've ever completed in my whole life. So I'm very excited <laughs> to like actually finish something I start. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if we can't finish it off. Well, don't forget we have our Mountain Murders live show coming up in January. I know you're probably all busy with the Christmas hullabaloo and all that. But if you're looking for some fun after Christmas, yeah. when you get those January blues, you got to come check out Mountain Murders' very first live show. That's going to be January the 18th at Fleetwoods in Asheville, North Carolina. Tickets are now on sale. You can purchase those if you go to brownpapertickets.com or if you follow us on Facebook we have an event on our page we also have a link you know to buy the tickets in the event yeah as well so keep that in mind I couldn't make a great Christmas gift for that true crime fan in your life that's a good give point give them mountain murders tickets <laughs> let's do it we've had a few people reach out that are going and we just can't wait to see everybody there it's going to be really fun. And have some fun. And that is a New Year's resolution you can stick to. And Dylan's a little stage shy. He has a little stage fright. Well, yeah. So I'm interested to see how you handle being in front of the crowd, Dylan. Well, I think if it's uh, my uh, our friends and family showing up, I think it'll be fine. You think so? But I've been so? working on it. I know. You have. You've been pretty good. About... Every opportunity I get, I get up in front of people and make an ass out of myself. Uh, yes. So that I think that's... See how easy it is? Yeah. This is my life. Well, I think it's that's so what um, I can do what I do here in person. That's Say true. dumb shit. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I can't wait for that. And um, can I tell, talk about one other thing before we get started? Sure. Real quick. Well, you know, we have our little window of time where we're allowed to bullshit before people start leaving us negative reviews about bullshitting. Yeah, I see the ticker going down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm questioning um, Kitty's relationships with some of the uh male cats here in the neighborhood okay so you're questioning kitties i, I get that yeah because yeah. every time we turn around she's meowing and want more food and she eats 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 yeah so now i've come to the conclusion and i think you may agree that she is really getting food for the other cats she's forging relationships with some unsavory characters in the neighborhood she is i don't trust them she needs to find her a nice clean-cut kitty who has his own home. His own porch. A cat tower. And a cat tower. And his own bag of meow mix. Yes, and no active litter, you know? Right. That he's not taken care of. Yeah, and I just think that she's not making good choices. No, because that family daughter, dollar meow mix is not free, folks. <laughs> and at this rate, she's just a tiny little kitty, but she's feeding everybody. I've figured this out. I've, done, I've, I've peeped her game. Well, we came home today. We went to lunch. We came home and... There was this gigantic black panther of a cat <laughs> on our porch. Yeah. All snuggled up to her food bowl. Yeah. Having at it. We yeah. fed her right before we left. Yeah. And Kitty's nowhere in sight. No. 
So I think she's uh, she's sharing her commissary with other people. And, but she refuses to eat in the house. She will because not eat in Because my friend was like, well, why don't you just put the cat food inside and make her eat in the house? She won't eat in the house. Because she wants she's them like to get it. She's like on a fucking hunger strike. She wants them to get access. Yeah, that cat's a little crazy. Why can't we just have a normal pet? I don't know. I feel like, well, we've only had two pets together since we've been married. Well, there was that third demon cat. <sighs> there was a, I don't even count that cat. <laughs> That we had to rehome because it was not right for us. Uh, well, no, it was possessed. I can't even do a fucking exorcism. Yeah, yeah I've never terrible. seen such a mean little kitty. No. It was a kitten. Yes, and it was so mean. It was scary. Yeah, I was afraid of that cat. I thought it was going to eat my throat while I was sleeping. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, we'll work on that. and I'll, Maybe we can get kitty some counseling. Well, the holidays are coming up. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I'm very excited. Of course, the thought of Santa Claus is kind of weird to me because it's like having Richard Ramirez creeping in your house while you sleep. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking after your children. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, a little strange. Okay. But I'm ready to eat all the food. Yeah, That's my I can't favorite wait. part of the Christmas holiday well, it's like is going all to the... the baked goods and treats. Yes, it's like going to the fair. You know, you're going start... to eat all that horrible food. Making some Christmas treats here pretty soon. Oh, you're teasing me now. Yeah, I know. Okay. Are we ready to get started with our sixth download of the 12 downloads of Christmas? Yes, and I'm very happy that you uh, finally brought this case out of the vault because we literally discussed this case in the beginning. In the first week or two uh, of us podcasting. It's true. We've wanted to do this case for a while. I actually had one of our patrons reach out recently and suggest the case. I said, hey, it's on our list. We're going to get to it. But I thought it was a good time to bring it out. And the big unveiling. What are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about actually two cases, big cases here in our area, in the Asheville area. If you're in North Carolina, you've probably heard about this. But one of these cases actually made national news because it involves a celebrity. Right. Well, let's get into this. Zeb Wayne Quinn was born May 12, 1981. He lived in Asheville, North Carolina, where he worked at Walmart in the electronics department, and he was an active member of ROTC. Zeb was a recent graduate of T.C. Robertson High School. He was attending college at AB Tech, which is the local community college. He lived with his mother and sister. Now, Zeb was described as somewhat of a shy, awkward individual who had struggled his whole life with a learning disability, but this wasn't really hampering um, his performance at college. He was really enjoying being a college student, was described as a great worker, really hard worker at Walmart, was just doing well. Yeah, all accounts. I've talked to some people who knew him personally, being a small town and all that. Or, um, and uh, yeah, I'd say he was a great guy. Just young, enjoying life, fun to be around. On yeah. January 2nd, 2000, Zeb clocked out from his shift at Walmart around 9 p.m. He had plans to meet up with a man named Robert Jason Owens. And folks are going to call him Jason. So we'll just refer to him as Jason through the story. He's a friend. They had for formerly worked together at Walmart. Okay. But Jason had moved on. To another job, but they sometimes would shoot pool together after work. They were friendly with each other. They were going to go check out a car. Zeb was doing well financially and felt it was time to upgrade from his Mazda to a newer car. He had his mind on a Mitsubishi Eclipse, and Owens had told him about a car 
very similar to what he was looking for. Mitsubishi Eclipse, little sports car that was at a car lot out in Leicester. Okay. Which is a community, part of Asheville community, but some people call it Leicester. Yeah. But if you know, you call it Lester. If people live out there, call it Lester. Yeah, you got to call it Lester. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, the pair met up at Walmart parking lot, but they were planning to drive separately out to Lester. And around 9.15 p.m., a surveillance camera picked up footage of the two at a gas station buying sodas together. This would be the last time Quinn was seen alive. When he did not return home, his mother, Denise Vlahakis, filed a missing persons report the following day. She had called around asking people if they had seen Zeb, was sending messages and pages to him. Yeah. Back in the day when people had pagers. Yeah, clipses and pagers. He always answered pages, and he wasn't returning any of her calls. He didn't return home. And to her knowledge, he hadn't taken any personal belongings with him. No overnight bag, toothbrush, clothes, nothing. And this was very out of character for Zeb to stay out all night without calling. Yeah. He just wasn't that kind of guy. Right. He was a really responsible kid and a good kid and, and had a close relationship with his mom. She knew something was up. Yeah. I mean, when, once you start looking into it and you realize they haven't taken anything with them, even if they forgot to tell you they were going to stay at a friend's house or whatever, then uh, that we always talk about it. That worry starts creeping into the back of your mind. It was about a day before Zeb's disappearance was finalized. Um, she was able to file the police report, you know, start to begin, uh, you know, more of a formal search for the young man. On January 4th, 2000, a man called the Walmart store claiming to be Zeb Quinn. The man said he was suffering from an illness, not feeling well, and wasn't going to make it in for his shift. The woman who answered the call thought the voice didn't sound like Zeb. I mean, she worked with him and she knew what he sounded like. When the phone is hung up, she picks back up and dials star 69. Uh-oh. You remember the star 69 tool? Yeah, star 69 busts a lot of shit open back in the day. I done star 69 you. Mm, I done star 69 that and that's a damn lie. <laughs> well, it rang back to the Volvo plant in Asheville. Oh, really? The phone call was eventually traced by police. Now, the call is going to be traced back to the Volvo plant, as I mentioned. Jason Owens happened to be employed at the Volvo plant. Wow. Jason would tell police that Zeb had asked him to call in for him as like a favor. But there was no proof that this conversation ever occurred. According to Owens, who is now somewhat of, you know, a person of interest in this, being the last to have seen Zeb around. Right. He says that Zeb had received a page on the night of January 2nd and that he'd used a payphone to make a call. Zeb then walked over to Jason's vehicle in a frantic state. He told Owens he had to cancel the plans to go look at that Mitsubishi Eclipse because something had come up. It was around 9.45 p.m. when Zeb jumped into his car, screeching tires, trying to haul ass out of this parking lot like there was some extreme emergency. On the way out of the gas station parking lot, he happened to rear-end Owen's vehicle. Oh, shit. Zeb speeded off, didn't discuss anything about the accident or the auto repairs. So just sort of rear-ends him and takes off. But Owen's 
didn't seem to think much of it, figured they would be able to catch up and talk about the accident later. The next day, Owen calls out of work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That You know, that, that whole story seems odd, right? Like even saying that my buddy asked me to call in for him. Unless you're really devastated or, I mean, in jail or something like that where you physically can't get to a phone, you'll probably just call him for yourself. Now, this is where things get interesting. Jason Owens claimed he was in another car wreck, so a second wreck, on the evening that Zeb disappeared. He showed up at the hospital later that night with a head injury and fractured ribs. However, no police reports were filed in either accident. So yeah. there's no paper trail to back up Owens' story. Yeah, and a head injury and fractured ribs is a pretty significant car wreck, right? Wouldn't you think? Right. Yeah, that's not a fender bender. That's a lot of force. After giving his initial statement about the disappearance, he refused to cooperate further with the police. Oh, yeah. Well, that's going to help get you off the list of uh, persons of interest. Quinn's Mazda protege was discovered abandoned on January 16th, which was two weeks after he disappeared. The vehicle was located in the parking lot of the Little Pig's Barbecue Restaurant on McDowell Street. Oh my Still God. there. Is it really? Yeah. I want to go eat there. A plastic hotel key and a female black lab mix puppy around three months old were found inside Quinn's car. Oh, that's weird. There were several empty drink bottles, some hairs, and a jacket that didn't belong to Quinn. All right. The puppy wasn't his either and was eventually adopted by one of the police officers who investigated Quinn's case. That's all very strange stuff to find in his car. A large pair of lips and two exclamation points had been drawn in an orange-pink lipstick on the rear windshield. And the driver's seat was adjusted for someone shorter than Quinn. There was no sign of him at the scene. The vehicle was parked nearby Mission St. Joseph's Hospital, where Quinn's grandmother, mother, and sister all worked as neonatal nurses. Wow. That's always struck me as ever since I first looked into this case, this story. The lips drawn in lipstick on his window. And the puppy that's not his. That's very weird. I've heard some speculation that perhaps the puppy was placed in the vehicle with, I believe, the window was rolled down a bit yeah. to draw attention to the vehicle. Because okay. if this car is left parked there with this puppy in it, people are going to take notice. Well, Like, okay. oh, this puppy needs out of the vehicle. And so then it's going to draw attention and they'll be able to figure out that it's Zeb's vehicle. Okay. I mean, I've heard that as a speculation. But who knows? But you're also possibly, if you have anything to do with the bad parts that could be going on here, it's like a, leaving a, you know, something behind that can connect you. The puppy. Maybe. I don't know. Authorities believe that foul play was involved in Quinn's disappearance and began investigating the case as a homicide. It wasn't until 2009 they had collected some hair, saliva, and fingerprint samples from a female friend of Zeb's named Misty Taylor, but they stated Misty isn't a suspect in his disappearance. Quinn told his loved ones that Misty's boyfriend, a guy named Wesley Smith, was abusive to her and that Smith had threatened him because of his involvement with Misty. All right. Police eventually traced the page Quinn got on the night of his disappearance. It came from the home of his aunt, 
Her name is Ina Ustich. Now, she denies having made the call and said that the night that the page was received, which would have been the January 2nd evening, that she was having dinner at her friend Tamara Taylor's house. Tamara is Misty Taylor's aunt, and Misty and Smith were also at the dinner that night. Oh, well, that's very, um, who made the damn page then? That's crazy. Ustich later filed a police report saying that someone had broken into her house while she was at Tamara's having dinner. There, it didn't seem like anything was stolen, but she said things were rearranged in the house. All right. Like she could tell some things had been moved around. Yeah, that's very strange. In the years after Zeb Quinn's disappearance, Owens would spend about 23 months in prison for some other, like, minor crimes. So let's talk about Jason Owens for just a few minutes. Yeah, let's talk about that guy. (laughs) I like how you say that. He was raised by his grandmother, Bertha. His mother, Betsy, was a drug addict who had left the boy to be raised by grandma. Jason's father was never listed on the birth certificate and was never involved in Jason's life. Jason attended Irwin High School where folks described him as personable, but neither popular nor unpopular. He was just like a really average guy. All right. So average, you kind of forget him. Yeah. I mean, honestly, everybody described him as like the most average guy you'd ever meet. All right. Just not very memorable. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, and he came up, you know, we're in similar age groups here. So he came up in the 90s. And, you know, during the 90s, there was like the grunge era. Hip hop was big. Yeah. But during that time, Jason Owens always had a very clean cut appearance. He didn't have the long hair that a lot of guys that age had. white t-shirt crowd. Wasn't part of that. Wasn't. The sagging the pants crowd. All right, so he's kind of sound a little preppy. Just kind clean, of clean cut, preppy. Very respectful. Some said he was like the boy next door. All right, quiet. Now Owens has a criminal record involving frequent run-ins with the police. Owens was involved in several high-speed police chases, drunk driving, and driving with a revoked license. He would also accrue convictions for distributing prescription drugs. Possessing stolen property at some point in the uh, kind of mid 2000s, he had to file bankruptcy. What the hell, Jason? Damn. Some described Owens as a solid construction worker, a doting uncle, and a guy who liked flipping burgers on the grill. Again, just super average. Yeah, besides all the damn shenanigans, <laughs> the police chases and the bankruptcy. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> he presented himself as just this regular Joe, but had the side that a lot of people didn't know about. Right. And I could see that being like that. If they you, you see this young man, clean cut, acts, you know, he's quiet, just kind of middle of the road on everything and respectful. You'd be like, what the hell? You'd be surprised. That he's leading Nashville police all around them place chasing his ass. It was not until March 17th, 2015, when Jason Owens was arrested for an unrelated incident involving another couple that authorities began pressing Owens for more information regarding Zeb's disappearance. I don't know why they waited that long. So at this point, Zeb Quinn has been missing for 15 years. It's a cold case. It's just gone nowhere. And it's been baffling to the area. Yeah, I think that really um, it left a mark because even to this day, 
people vividly remember it. They remember when it happened, when they were looking for Zeb, and they remember all the strange little details, the puppy in the car. The, the lips on drawn the, on the window. Yes. And, the, and the fact that he was with Jason Owens. They remember, I mean, not even true crime fans, just everybody around here remembers that case vividly. Yeah, I mean, I remember exactly when this happened. Right. And you were living in the area at the time, so I'm yeah. sure you remember I all do the remember. details. Yeah, I was like, what? It was a very strange. I mean, it's just. And then, um, you know, Jason's with his last person to see him. You know, that concocted story, that weird story about him taking taking off, hitting my car. Almost kind of like I don't have time to take care of that and zooms off. And then I'm in another wreck. Now I'm at the hospital. There's no proof. I mean, I, I was just like, uh. Long before all the podcasts and true crime access we have nowadays, I was just like, this doesn't make any damn sense. No. But then the cops really have nothing to go on, so they can't keep pressing him. But lo and behold, Owens comes back into their field of view years later. Christy and J.T. Codd were living in the Leicester area of Asheville. The couple had purchased their home sitting on 27 acres on Hooker's Gap Road. Christy and JT had scheduled a trip to Mississippi, but never showed up. And that didn't make sense to Christy's dad. The couple was set to arrive by 4 p.m. on Sunday, and they were not answering calls or texts. So her family alerted the police, who went to the home to perform a welfare check. Finding no signs of the couple or where they might have gone, it didn't take long for police to recognize that the situation was alarming. Not to mention that the couple had left behind vehicles and dogs. Oh. And it was clear that the dogs had not been tended to for several days. That's not what people usually do when they go away on a trip. No. No, they make uh, plans for the dogs. Someone keeps them or someone's there house-sitting. Something. Not long after this, Alerts went out within the community, basically across the region, this missing couple, even prompted some posts on like 48 hours asking anybody with information or what happened to them, where they might have gone to please, you know, come forward. Christy had appeared on season eight of Food Network Star. Really? So she's somewhat of a celebrity chef. Oh, wow. I did not know that. She was pregnant and dreamed of opening a little cafe in the community where they lived. She wanted to do really healthy, kind of farm-to-table types of foods. Mm, is that going to play in Lester? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> this $19 sandwich. Christy was not only an accomplished chef, but she graduated from LSU with a double major in theater and German. Ah, wow. She was also a really skilled oil painter. This is like an accomplished woman. She sounds very talented. Yes. And there was no reason for her or her husband to just abruptly leave town without taking their cars, to stop answering family members' phone calls. Ignoring their pets. Exactly. Yeah, that's not good. Christy worked as a caterer, and her husband had been a grip on movie and television sets. He had even worked on that HBO show Carnival. Oh, my God. Which I love. I want to hang out with them. I mean, the couple had only been married since September of 2014, so they were still newlyweds. They sound very like a very interesting just, pair of people. Exactly. Just They'd just recently been married, expecting their first baby, had just bought a house. Ambitious. All these plans. settling into this new town, had all these plans. I mean, there was just no reason for them to up and leave. And they were planning this trip to Mississippi to visit her family. Right. 
Jason Owens lived less than a mile away from the Cods. Oh, fuck. He had been hired on occasion to do some construction and handyman types of work for the couple. He and Christy were friendly enough that they were even connected on social media. And were like Facebook friends. Here we go. Here comes Owens. Back into the picture of some normal people's lives. It was on March 16th of 2015 that Owens becomes a person of interest. A neighbor phoned the sheriff's department to say that Jason Owens was seen throwing garbage bags into a private dumpster outside of a Candler home. Candler is, what would you guesstimate, about 10 or 15 minutes drive from Leicester? Yeah, by the time you come all the it's way up. It's kind of across town. Yeah, it's, it's not real. it's not, ne- you know, you have to, it's quite a bit of ways away, you know, on that general side. Officers retrieve the bag, and they find items belonging to Christy inside. There you fucking go. And Owens is already known to police. I mean, he was a prime suspect in Zeb's disappearance. He's had multiple run-ins over the years. Right. When they get this tip that his neighbors that were employing him are missing, and he was one of the last people to be around. You know they didn't And forget. they see him dumping garbage bags across town. They want to know what's in the garbage bags. Oh, yeah. And that's... Uh, they're always going to dig in your trash and it's public... Pro- well, that was a private dumpster. But it's public property if you put it out on the street. Owens was arrested and charged with the murder of Christy, Joseph, and their unborn child, Skylar. Yeah, and I'm sure there were still cops in the department who worked the Zeb Quinn case. And knew and, and had a feeling in their gut. They knew it was this. Owen had Owens had something to do with that, and but they could never prove it. So I bet they're going after him tooth and nail on this. Well, they they get him, they arrest him, and he starts singing like a canary. <laughs> he tells police that sometime around March twelfth, he accidentally ran over the couple as they tried to remove their car from a ditch. He's driving JT's truck. He rams their vehicle, then backs over them. After he panics, thinking he's going to be arrested and go back to prison, he decides to take the couple's bodies inside their home, where he dismembered them with a reciprocating saw and Jeez. placed their body parts into plastic bags. Yeah, that's, that's what people do right there when accidents happen. He took the bags of body parts to a mobile home on his property and burned the bodies in a wood stove. Jesus. He moved the couple's cars and sold some of their belongings, staging the house to look as if it had been burgled. Oh, and he'd know all about that. The couple's remains were sent to Winston-Salem to be identified using DNA, what they were able to find in the wood stove. So he's claiming he was trying to help them get out of the ditch? I've never quite, I don't know if you found any more information on that. Or that they were having an argument? I could never nail that down. No, I mean, what? Uh, that when he accidentally ran over yeah, them, which we what, know is a fucking lie, let's be honest. Well, what I, mean, come on. I understand is the couple had a vehicle in a ditch. He's driving the truck and I guess happens to drive up and then accidentally runs them over. Right, they're both standing hip to hip together directly behind the vehicle. Oh, uh, yeah. That's just, just, yeah, whatever. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, that's a stupid story. They were identified using DNA. Okay, his story, this part of the story is checking out. We, they, their remains are in the wood stove. Owens had admitted to his wife, Samantha, 
that he'd hit the couple with a vehicle and that he was driving one of their vehicles when he did it. All right. Owens also took Christie's phone and texted her family from the phone. Like trying to cover their tracks? Yeah, I guess tracks. like, hey, I'm on my right. way or yeah. whatever. Or just we're not to coming. Just to throw, you know. The, you know, throw the family off or to buy some time. Oh, look at that. Just like he called in for uh, poor Zeb Quinn to his work. I'm not going to be there. Oh, yeah, look at look at that. However, like you mentioned, investigators don't really know if this is the truth because this is Owen's version. He controlled the crime scene for at least 72 hours after the murders. His narrative is likely not what happened, but it's all the police have to go on. Right, and it sounds like he was actively modifying that scene the entire time. Several days after Owens was arrested, a double wide on his property mysteriously caught fire. Oh, wow. Investigators deem this suspicious. The building was the former home of his grandmother, Bertha Owens. Reportedly inside the mobile home was a wood stove. Mm. So they were able to get some evidence from this wood stove. But shortly after... They're collecting the evidence from the wood stove. I'm assuming fragments, bone fragments. Now, is this another wood stove in another house? I believe this is the same wood stove in the mobile home that was used. That was used to... So, that crime scene basically goes up in flames. Okay. All right. Someone is trying to clear up this crime scene. That's what it sounds like. On March 30th, 2015, crews were sent to Owen's property on a tip from a relative that he'd been digging a fish pond around the time of Zeb Quinn's disappearance. Shortly after he disappeared, Owens covered the pond with concrete. Okay. They get this excavation project going. They dig down. They find underneath this concrete slab some fabric, various leather types of materials, and some unknown hard fragments, which they thought could have possibly been some bone fragments, but right. I didn't find too much information on if that was tested, what was what came, became of that, basically. On the same day, investigators shut down a portion of the Bent Creek Experimental Forest, which is a popular hiking and biking spot in the Asheville area, to investigate a tip relating to Quinn's case. A permit would be needed to excavate the forest, So they weren't able to do any digging on this day. But some people speculated that perhaps this was a tip given to them by Owens himself. Ah. That he possibly buried Zeb Quinn at the Bent Creek area. Or that there was some sort of evidence somewhere in Bent Creek. Yeah, he's a damn lie anyway. I don't know if I trust anything he says. And if you remember our very first episode, The Murder of Karen Stiles takes place in the Bent Creek community. So if you've not listened to the very first episode, well, you can go back and laugh at us, but also it's a pretty interesting case. Oh my God, we just, I just in my heart came full circle. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel bad for all the victims we've talked about. In April 2017, Owens entered a plea deal in the killings of the Cod family and is able to avoid the death penalty. Yeah. July 10th, 2017, while in prison for the Cod murders, a grand jury indicted Owens with the first-degree murder in the death of uh, Zeb Quinn on really? January 2nd, 2000. I never realized he was actually indicted on that. Good. He, yep. 
relatives and neighbors were pretty shocked to learn of Owen's involvement in the murders. I mean, you see this quite a bit in these cases where the public persona is very different from the private persona. This dude burned up two bodies in a woods, sat there and smelled it while he burned up two bodies, cut them up. But they have no idea that he would do ever do anything like this. Well, the extremely horrific murders, plus the disposal, as you've mentioned. I'm sorry, three bodies. Shows, I mean, this is like a next level kind of sociopath. Yes. Psychopath. Very much. It seems that he got away with it once. Maybe. So he thought he could get away with it again. I'm telling you, we've always, uh, as our stance here at Mount Murders, I think you agree wholeheartedly. If you cut a body up, you, it's some other type. It's that ninja level, that next level of crazy. I'm sorry. And Even an accident. You, your first thought isn't, oh my God, what happened? I'm scared of the authorities. What's going to happen to me? That's a natural feeling. That I understand that. So what I need to do is cut this body. Just the very mere thought of putting a tool or a saw in the human flesh and you're busting the joints. You're literally taking this body apart in pieces. Huh, yeah. I, I don't even know how you wrap your head around that shit. Well, the smell. and the other side of that as well is she's pregnant. And she's fucking pregnant and he knows that and he's friendly with these people. Yeah. They've let him in their home. They've Trusted employed him. him. Who knows? He may have done all kinds of favors and errands. They might have done let him borrow money. That's all speculation, but I mean, and to be able to just kill them, even if it was an accident, it, it sounds well, crazy. Well, that's the thing. If it's an accident, Call the damn police. most of the time you can explain yourself. The evidence will, you, will usually, well, granted, cops can get things wrong. Right. But uh, you take that chance. I'm sorry. You don't cut. I'm going to cut it up and burn it. I'm going to burn them. Yeah. I don't know. Well, this is just my opinion. <clears throat> Not that it matters. But to me, Jason Owens is probably a serial killer, and I think he would have murdered again if he hadn't gotten caught. I think you're right. I believe that he got away with whatever he did to Zeb Quinn. If yep. he was able to elude law enforcement in the Cod murders, yep. there is no doubt in my mind he would have moved on, and it may have been a year or two, 10, 15. He would have done it again. He could have already... Pure speculation, have. he may have killed someone else between that time. We just, nobody knows about it. Yeah. He's going around with this, and that's another point to what you're saying there, this mask he can present to the public. This image, almost like I can play y'all's games with the emotions and, you know, all that. And then, but then he's obviously very different. And uh, I had a few stories told to me, pure speculation, no proof. But well, you uh, work with some I work fellas. with some men now who worked with him at Volvo. Right. Yes. And I was told that uh, Owens was known to be hot-tempered, very ill, you know, can be, when he gets, he's okay, but when he gets mad, he gets very mad. And their speculation there, as rumors fly around workplaces, was that Zeb hit his car and it pissed him off, because he was like that about his stuff. And that maybe he did something to him over that. Well, and uh, they said that they brought investigators, brought cadaver dogs to the Volvo premises and searched all around and talked to people about if they had any ideas if they were going to hide a body, where would you put it on the premise? And spent days and days doing that. Well, I also read, and it was a bit of speculation, I couldn't actually nail down any factual evidence that Zeb Quinn had a large sum of cash on his person, but there was some speculation that Zeb Quinn had 
some money. Maybe his car money that he'd been saving exactly, up. Exactly, that he had that cash on him. Okay. And that that could have possibly been a motive is that he it maybe was robbery or it was to take this money. Right. But again, that was just some rumor gossip. Just, I couldn't yeah. pinpoint that exactly. I mean, most of my sources come from the newspaper with this case. Right. Um, there's a lot of news reports, you know, newspaper clippings from 2000 all the way up. So I did get a lot of information from just basically news stories. Yeah. This. Again, it was mostly just kind of rumor and speculation. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're speculating a, a good bit there. But I think the things we can all maybe agree on is he likely did something to Zeb. Basically got away with it, and he thought he could get away with it again. Did something to his neighbors there, a couple, a pregnant woman, the Cods, and uh, had no problem killing those people. Well, it almost seems to me and disposing of them, trying to get away with it again. Right, and the fact that you know, I'm saying I feel like he could potentially be like a serial killer. Right, because this guy shows some characteristics in my opinion and not yeah. that i'm some expert but we do a lot of true crime here well, he fits we're that bill. big true crime fans he fits the bill he has the poor impulse control yep he seemingly thinks he's owed something yep entitled he has that feeling and almost the, an air of superiority like he's smarter than everybody there you like go he's gonna get away with this because Oh, well, I'm, I'm taking all these steps to cover my tracks. Right. Which a lot of serial killers have that arrogant, narcissistic. Very much so. They think they're smarter than the cops. Uh, the, the fact that you can dismember a body, I think that speaks volumes, honestly. And in both situations, he paints himself as the victim. Right. And never owns up to any responsibility for what happened to the other people involved. Right. Yeah. You know, his car gets hit. He's in an accident. He's the victim. Yeah. You know, in this other case, it's like, oh, well, it was just an accident. Right. I just didn't want to go to jail. Even when he's younger, he's presenting this clean cut, quiet, average guy persona to people. And that's probably what people remember from going to school with him and things like that. Like you said, when, when you dug into that. But then he's running around a damn hellion, you know, doing all this car chases, you know, and all this stuff. Right. So his, he's obviously able to, you know, kind of compartmentalize and, and show people what he wants. But then he loses, like you said, poor impulse control and stuff. So I think you really, uh, I think that fits the bill. Well, he's in jail. So I guess we've, we've all got that going for us. Well, at least he's in freaking jail. I mean, that's too bad. I think he deserved death penalty for what he did to those people. I think that's horrible. I think it's pretty horrible as well. And, and I think that. Zepquin's mother and his family deserves more resolution. I think even with... I wish they had more details about what happened to their son. Yeah, where, I wish he would just come out with it. Just get it out Where there. his remains are. You're in prison for life, you asshole. But he doesn't care what that family feels or thinks, probably. But he just get it off your chest. Let that poor family know what happened to their son. Well, at this point, you know, Zepp Quinn's been missing for 19 years. Yeah. He, as long as my son is old, um, my son's a little older than 20. But yeah, for all that time that I was making a little family and raising kids, this family's lost their son. Been very, gone all that time. It's very sad. It's so sad. And I've seen interviews with Zeb's mother and I, my heart goes out to her. Just not knowing. 
it's that just, just a really just, pitiful situation. No matter how it turns out, and you know he's dead, and uh, all these things, I'm sure, in your heart, the not knowing those, like we've talked about before, could you handle it? Would you want to hear details and things? But I actually think people need that to a degree. Because it's never going to be the same. But I think it helps. Just gives them a starting point to actually work through the process of grief. Because never knowing, and I think I feel like it just leaves a hole there, a gaping hole that to, to never be filled with anything but yeah, sadness. I think so. Gosh, that's just horrible. So this has been the disappearance of Zeb Quinn coupled with the murders of the Cod family and the story of Jason Owens. What an asshole. Yeah. I don't like him. He's got a stupid face. He does have a, he has that meathead stupid face, right? He has like this stupid sort of squinty eyed, I don't know. Yeah, like he, he just kn- looks like a douchebag. Yeah, he looks like a fucking tool. And I, the first time I looked him up, I was like, I don't like this guy. I don't like his face. And I don't trust him. He has a shifty face. He does have got, a shifty face. He does. If I, oh my God. If I saw him out somewhere, I would, I would automatically be like, mm-hmm. watch that guy. Yeah. He, yeah. I'm going to post a picture of really, him we need to, to accompany this podcast. Yes. We'll post it on Facebook and Please. Instagram. So you'll be able to see what he looks like. And we're, I don't know, maybe we're just being petty, but I don't like his face. I've never liked his face. No, it's, uh, and I think everyone should he comment. really, like, he just has a bad aura. Comment on his squinty face and the <laughs> fact that he does not look trustworthy. And I wish that he hadn't done anything to any of these people. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that at least some form of justice has been served. Yeah. Because he's in prison. And I'm sure they don't really like baby killers in prison. Well, no. And that was a big story and everybody heard about it. So they knew about it. Yeah. And maybe he got his in there. Maybe he's got his ass kicked multiple times. Maybe. Maybe he's eating fruit cocktail off the fucking floor. Maybe somebody's up (laughs) in his fruit cocktail. Oh, God. Hello. Okay. Anyway. Well, if you can't get enough of Mountain Murders, you can always join us on Patreon. We love having new patrons sign up. We post new episodes over there, exclusive to our patrons. So feel free to go check out Mountain Murders Podcast on Patreon. You can sign up for as little as a dollar. Don't forget, we do have that live show. We mentioned it before. We'll mention it again coming up January the 18th. Make sure you get your tickets for that. They're only $10 if you order them online. I can't wait. We're going to have so much to fun. To see friends. Oh. Mountain murder friends. All right. Well, Dylan, you have a great afternoon. And you as well. <laughs>